Amen. What a great reminder. To God be the glory. Why? Because of the great things that He hath done. Well, as we turn back to Luke chapter 1 and celebrate Christmas through the eyes of a priest, again, it's a great reminder for us. Why, why do we need to study the Bible? Why do we need to be reminded of communion, be reminded of Christmas? And ultimately, it's to be reminded of the great things that God has done. Um, when we think about Christmas, we have to consider, well, the proper understanding of Christmas then is, is absolutely essential. Your understanding of Christmas is a life or death thing. It, 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 de it depends on, your life depends on, your eternal life depends on your right view of Christmas. Um, if you think that, you know, there's Santa Claus and reindeer and you know, Christmas trees and, and that's the real meaning of Christmas. Well, that's going to lead you down a very, very wrong path, right? If you don't really understand the, the genuine understanding of, of what the Bible says about what Christ, Christmas is, um, then you're on the wrong path. Just because you show up for Christmas doesn't mean you get Christmas or understand Christmas. Um, and so we want to understand when, when we come and study the Bible, when, when we're studying the Old Testament, we're saying about Abrahamic covenant and you, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, why are we doing that? It's like, why, why can't we just get to the, the good stuff, right? Which, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what the good stuff is to you, but um, but when you understand in the in the pages of Scripture from the first page to the last, when you understand the thread of redemption, you understand that the the progress of redemption is a progress and a thread of of Jesus. It's a thread of how God has a plan to save us from our sin through the Savior of the world through Jesus. If you understand that God placed these things so perfectly that we're, one minute we're reading about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The next minute we're in Luke and they're quoting Abraham. They're referring to Abraham. They're, they're, they're holding on. They're clinging to the promises of Abraham. And we think, what's the big deal? In fact, you know what? <clears throat> um, let's just throw this part out because this is the old testament this is we don't really need it anyway that's not how the readers of the new testament look at it that's not how jesus looks at it when he quotes the old testament over and over and over again no cling to the old testament the old testament then is your understanding of the new testament if you don't understand the abrahamic covenant you're never going to understand how precious Jesus Christ is. You're never going to understand the hope and the promise 
of eternal life. The promised land, the promised land is not dirt in Israel. It's an eternity of he in heaven with, with your God and maker. That's the promised land. How do I have faith in the promised land? How do I have faith in what God is telling me today? Because I can look back in the pages of the Old Testament and go, wow, God was so faithful to Abraham. He was so faithful to Isaac. He's so faithful to Jacob. He's so faithful to Joseph, to David, to... And it goes on, right? And so I and you then can have hope that you can have confidence in this God. Because you know what? We're all going to have our moments of doubt. We're going to have those moments when we look around and say, I don't get it. I, you know what? What's happening to me personally, I don't like. I didn't do anything wrong. And look how I'm being attacked. What's happening to my family? I, I, I don't get it, Lord. I, I, I don't understand. What's happening in my community? What's happening in my country, in the world? And these are the things where the evil one slips in and goes, really? Does he really love you? Is he really your friend? Is he really the savior? Is he really sovereign? Is he really king? Is he really God of the universe? And it's at that point, well, what are you clinging to? A, a touchy, feel-good feeling? Or do you have something more solid? When I think about the, the ideology of the world right now, the, the postmodern ideology of the world, it's like, hey, um, you do what you think is right, right? And it's like, well, if, if there's no objective morality, then, then who's defining the terms? And ironically, it, it, it's so, so funny, but sad, how the same people who are clinging to, I want to do what I want. I want to do it my way. Don't tell me what to do. I don't want any God. I don't want any authority. I don't want any rules. Tell you, well, you can't think this way. You can't do that. Well, that's wrong. Well, that, that's, that's really wrong. Um, based on what? What are you basing your morality on? I know what my morality is based on. My morality is not based on my dad. My morality is not based on myself. My morality is based on the word of God. And so my hope then also comes from God's word. And so when we see God promising Abraham that through his seed, that the nations of the world will be blessed... But we come to Luke 1 and, and as we now kind of transport ourselves in time and say, okay, let's go back to Luke 1. Let's go back to the nation of Israel. Let's go back before Jesus is born and let, let's put our hats on right now and say, okay, how are these people living? How is Zacharias living? What is Zacharias's understanding of, of the world Who and his wife Elizabeth and, and, and Mary? And at this point in time, they're wondering, well, what's going on with the Abrahamic covenant? Because it's been about 400 years since we've had a king. And we have this promised coming Messiah. And we have Rome who's occupied our land. And I don't see you, God. I don't see it. 
Are you here? Are you listening? Are you watching? I've heard, I've read that there's this wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace coming. Emmanuel, God with us is coming, but where? All I see are Roman soldiers. All I see is a corrupt temple with its corrupt and arrogant priests and Pharisees. Where's the son of David? Where's the king? Where is he? Well, that's where Zacharias is at, at this moment of time. And, and as I mentioned, we, we had the Old Testament and Malachi had, you know, was the last book and it's been about 400 years. And we've got Isaiah and it's been about 700 years talking about this, this coming Prince of Peace. And yet Messiah's not there. And then we come upon Luke. And I love the way Luke begins. Luke begins in a way that says, well, let me prove it to you. In my humanity, in Tony's humanity, it's like, I, I need facts. I need, I need evidence, right? I need proof. I don't want to live by faith. I want to see it, touch it, feel it. And so here we have Luke 1. In as much as many have undertaken to compile an account of things accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word have handed them down to us. It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Wouldn't it be awesome if somebody was there Right? Watching the life of Christ, watching John the Baptist. Wouldn't it be awesome if there were eyewitnesses? There was a testimony, there was a, a trace of evidence. Right? Video cameras. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Well, here's Luke saying, um, look, I I am gonna undertake to compile all this evidence. We have a lot of evidence. Does this sound familiar? We have a lot of evidence. No, you don't. It, yeah, we do. We have a, lots of evidence. We have lots of people who are eyewitness testimony. Well, this is what took place. There are a lot of witnesses. And Luke goes, okay, I'm going to take in all this eyewitness testimony. I'm going to compile it, and I'm going to put it in this book, the book of Luke. And so, this is not a myth or fable or just some Jewish traditional story. This is as real life fact evidence as it's going to get. One of the, the worst parts of what's happening today is we're losing all sense and, and faith and hope in reality. We don't believe anything anymore. Right? Are we ever going to go through an election and believe it again? I mean, think about how sad that is. Just the concept that you are now going to struggle with believing what people say, right? Our, our, our news, our papers are now more interested in selling sensationalism than in fact-telling. So who do we believe? What do we believe? It used to be, you need an eyewitness to come forward 
to testify, right? Well, I got these three guys. They saw Dennis do it. Then Dennis is guilty. That's that. Eyewitnesses. Well, now we're, well, do we believe them? Who do we believe? Well, I guess we don't believe in anything. Anyway, if you can't believe eyewitness testimony, well, we have eyewitness testimony here. That should be very, very encouraging to you. That this isn't just a story of Christmas. This is actually the a historical account of the setup to Christmas. And the setup is awesome. The, Luke 1 is, is such a cool chapter. I would encourage you to go back home tonight and read it again. There's so much here. And we're going to race through and forgive me, but, but we're going to... We're going to see just this amazing account. Today we're going to look at five ways to understand Christmas through the eyes of, of this high priest. Five ways to understand Christmas in a, in a different way through the eyes of this high priest, Zacharias. Uh, the first way is Zacharias the priest. The second way is Zacharias and the angel. The third way is Zacharias and his relative. The fourth way, Zacharias is restored. And then the fifth way, Zacharias is prophecy. So uh, back to the book, verse five. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he and his wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God. How? walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. And so the first way we understand Christmas is through Zacharias, this, this uh, priest. Well, he's a devout Jewish follower, right? He's a Levitical priest from the, the line of Aaron. He's a righteous man. This is a good guy. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us. How is he righteous? Well, he's righteous in the sight of God because he walks blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements. So he's, he's, he's faithfully obeying the word of God. He's, he's not uh, defiling the word of God. He's not disobedient to the word of God. He's, he's following the, the requirements of the sacramental system. This is a spiritual man. This is a spiritual woman. But Elizabeth, the wife, how familiar does this sound, is barren. Now, it's interesting because remember, we're in Genesis and we're studying week in, week out. And then we skipped all this, right? We come back to Luke 1 and, wow, we're right back where we started from. The key person of the story is barren. <laughs> and they can't have a child. Now, we've heard this before because we're in the thick of studying it. So when you come to Luke 1 and you've never heard of this kind of thing, right? Women being barren. Um, it may come as a shock to you. It doesn't come to a shock to us because we've been good Bereans and we've been studying our scriptures in the Old Testament in Genesis. So when we hear she's barren, what's the first thing we think of? God's going to provide a miracle. Why? Because God's in control. Why? Because God is sovereign. That's why we read the Bible. 
And then when we push forward and it's you and your family, you have faith, hope, and confidence that God will help you. Why? Because he helped Zacharias. Because he helped Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? See how that works? See how that ties in? See how that becomes very, very practical? And so when we come to this, we say, okay, let's see what happens. God's going to perform a miracle here. That's our great hope. She's barren, she's old. Perfect combination. That's our favorite one, right? Sarah, all right. So the first thing that we have to understand to Christmas is that the Zacharias, the high priest, God is going to do something amazing and great through him, not because of him. How do we know that? Well, the second way we understand Christmas is is going to be through an angel, through an angel. How so? Verse 8. Now, it came about that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. So, Part of his priestly doing, remember, where's a priest? A priest is positioned at the temple. What's the temple? The temple is the place where you go to make your sacrifices for sins, right? It's, it's not like church where we come to hear sermons. It's the place you go to sacrifice your sins. It's the place where the priest is the mediator between you and God. He takes your offering. He sacrifices it. It goes to God. And then they have this incense of, of offering, which is the people would come to the temple and, and they would pray. And then the priest would intercessory, would, would pray with them as well. And the incense was a representation of the prayers going up, that smoke going up to God. And then God receives the prayer as a sweet aroma. We see this laid out in the Old Testament. So they're practicing this pattern. They're they're coming together and the and the people are praying and and Zacharias is is praying for them and with them. Verse 12 and Zacharias Zacharias was troubled when he saw him because this verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 11, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. What petition? Well, what we hadn't been told before this was, well, Zacharias and Elizabeth wanted children. They were like Hannah. Lord, I, I, I know you've made me barren. I, I understand that. But you know what? But I, I, I would like to have a child. And so they beseech the Lord and go to the Lord and, and pray to the Lord for, for, for a child. And so this has been happening with these two righteous people. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer had been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And... Praise God, we rejoice at the birth of John the Baptist till this day. 
Verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Well, remember at this point of time, the Holy Spirit comes and goes into people. This is part of the great promise and the great hope of the new covenant, which was the Holy Spirit will reside in us. And we are the body of the Holy Spirit. So at this time, the Holy Spirit comes into John the Baptist while he's in his mother's womb. And what's he going to do? Verse 16. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord, their God. He will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord, their God. What's the implication here? Many of the sons of Israel have turned their back to God. That's a sad thing. What a sad thing to, to think about. And But John is going to turn them back. He's going to be a part of the process of turning them back. Verse 17, And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him. Who's him? I thought him was John the Baptist. No. John the Baptist isn't the show. John, John the, ba the Baptist is... He's the hype man before the show, right? John the Baptist is the forerunner before him. Who's him? That's Jesus. And it will be he who will go as a forerunner in him in spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What's the problem with the people of Israel? They have turned their hearts. They're disobedient. They have a bad attitude. What's our problem? We've turned our hearts. We're disobedient. We have bad attitudes. What's our problem? You have a bad attitude. That's a you problem. It's my problem too. When, when, when I'm in, in sin, when, when I'm having a, a, a little disagreement with my wife that very rarely happens, except for when I'm breathing, not because of her, because of my bad attitude, disobeying the scriptures, not being kind, not being gentle, right? It, it happens. Well, John the Baptist is going to be this forerunner, this, this amazing forerunner, verse 18. Now, here's the twist. So we have Zacharias, and he's a righteous man, and he's, he's a godly man. He's performing duties. He's, he's a man of prominence, right? He's got a great title. He's a, he's a priest. Um, he's got a great wife. And they've been praying, and this angel comes to him and says, Hey, we're gonna, God is going to answer your prayer. Perfect setup. All right. We've heard this story before. We get it. We're hoping for it. We're waiting for it. How come Zacharias isn't? Doesn't he know? He's a priest. Doesn't he know the stories? He, he's, he's forgotten. He's forgotten. Now, in his defense, they don't have Bibles, you know, 15 Bibles in the house, you know, like we do. But he's forgotten. And instead of hoping and clinging to hope, 
This is his response. And Zachariah said to the angel, how shall I know for certain? Well, first of all, he just saw an angel. An angel just came to him. He's scared to death because he realizes this is something different. And, well, how will I know for sure? From an old man. Well, that's how it works. This is how I work. You're an old man. She's an old woman. She's barren. You can't have kids. I step in. That's the program. He's missing the program. Verse 19, an angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. Ever heard of me? I'm not just one of those rando, you know, millions of trillions, you know, angels. I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you good news, to bring you good news, to bring you the good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. Wait a minute. Wait, I thought Zacharias was the kind of the hero of the story, or Luke chapter 1. He's the guy that we're talking about. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. He, it doesn't look like he's rejecting God. It doesn't look like he's denying God. I mean, how many times have I thought, how will I know for sure, right? These are the passages that perplex me. Because on one hand, they're very, very encouraging. I know what's going to happen with the story. I know how exciting this is. There's a miracle. His son's, you know, awesome. And, you know, they all live happily ever after. On the other hand, I'm a little scared. Because it doesn't look like there was a whole lot wrong. And he gets silenced. He can't speak. Now, he's a, a man of God. And oral verbal communication tends to be one of the marks of, of spiritual leaders. If I couldn't speak, that kind of be a big deal for me. Right? Um, so the Lord takes that away he takes away something that is supposed to be used my mouth is supposed to be used to praise God to proclaim God to preach the gospel to preach the good news but if you're not going to do that and you're not and you're going to use your mouth to deny me and to show a lack of faith then I'm going to take your voice away that's what he does and so we see this Another way to understand Christmas is, well, you may have a lack of faith and you may be punished for that lack of faith, but then you can also be restored for that lack of faith. So retain hope. Well, the third way to understand Christmas is through Zacharias and his relatives, his, his relative. Uh, verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that, they, that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And it came about when the days of his priestly service were ended that he went back home. And after these, thing, these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is 
is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. So, Zacharias' wife, Elizabeth, how does she respond to the pregnancy? Hey, she realized that God, this is a God thing. God had favor. God answered me. God is blessing me. And so she doesn't seem to have any hesitancy at all. And she's going to go away and go spend some time with the relative. Well, what relative? Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee. We're shifting here. We're shifting from the narrative being Zacharias and Elizabeth to now somebody else. Verse 27. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one. This is an angel now speaking to this human Mary. Hail, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. What kind of greeting is this? And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Verse 30. Finding favor is, again, not a way of saying that you're perfect, that you're sinless, that, you know, Mary somehow is, you know, <clears throat> the, uh, the one person in the world who had never said no. Finding favor is God is having grace upon her just like anybody else. She deserves to die, too, for her sins. But God, like he found favor with Noah, also has favor with Mary. Verse 31, And behold... You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Well, stop right there. So now we see something a little bit different. We're all pretty comfortable with old man, old woman, barren, having a baby, right? It's like we're, we're waiting for it now. We're expecting it. Now we're going to see a jump, a jump to a young lady who, well, it's prime baby-making age, but she's a virgin, and she's going to have a baby. How big of a gap, how big of a jump do we have to go from old guy, old lady, barren, to baby, to virgin, to baby? Well, if you had never studied your scriptures, if you had never read the Bible... That would be a very, very large gap. But we have, and we go, well, we, we, we know God he did this and that. And, okay, so now we just, we understand how God works, that, that it's, it's God who creates. It's, it's God who, who conceives. It's God who, wow, it's God who really does, I guess, the whole deal with a baby. He doesn't really need man at all. He can conceive babies okay that's not that big of a stretch now it's not that big of a stretch for me to think that God is sovereignly in control and ordaining through his power the miracle of life he's done it before this is different this is a little bit bigger but not that much bigger the gap isn't that much further it shouldn't stretch your mind of faith that much because this is what God does God makes people. God is the creator. God is the creator of the universe. He created the world out of nothing. 
which is far more complex than a person. God created Adam out of nothing. God created Eve. And now God has created this baby miraculously in Mary. I, I can get my arms wrapped around that. Logically, I can. I'm still going to have to have faith. But I can begin to understand that. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. His name will be Jesus. He saves. His name is going to be Savior. Well, that's interesting. Remember, this is the first time Mary's heard this. We've heard this a million times, right? We understand the story. This is the first time Mary's heard this. You're going to have a baby. You've, you've, you're, you're a virgin, and the baby's going to be the Savior. Okay. Um, verse 32. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of... Wait a second. Wait a second. I know my Bible. I know my scriptures. I know the, the prophecy. I know about... That's Messiah. Right away, before you go any further, it should start clicking into Mary. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Is, is he talking about what was written in Isaiah 700 years ago? And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Wow. That's a big matzo ball. That's incredible. You want to understand Christmas? Understand what's taking place here. That God is about to perform a miracle within Mary to bring the savior of the world, to bring the completion of the prophecy, the greatest prophecy in the Old Testament, the prophecy of the coming Messiah who will save the world from their sin, who will reign as king, who will have a kingdom of no end. It's the fulfillment of all the covenants. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Wait a minute. Doesn't that sound familiar? Did somebody just have a similar statement like that? Um, what did Zacharias say when he was told that, hey, you're going to have a child? And he says in verse 18, how shall I know for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And Zacharias gets punished. And Mary gets an answer. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit, let me explain it to you, because I know this is kind of a, a big thing to handle. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the most power and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, oh, Elizabeth and Mary are related. Ah, you guys already knew that. But if you hadn't read it before, then that would be kind of a cool thing all of a sudden. Oh, wait a minute. There's another connection here. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she, who is called barren, is now in her sixth month. 
for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. And so what was the difference between Zacharias and, and Mary? Well, somewhere in his heart, he really didn't get it, didn't understand and had no faith that it was going to happen. And somewhere in her heart, she kind of got it, wanted it to happen, believed it and was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> There's a difference. Now, here's the thing, you guys. We can't judge each other. It's almost the same statement, right? You and I, we, we, we can't judge each other's statements. We, we can't judge each other's hearts. We can't judge each other's faith. So don't do it. Resist that temptation. I know it's hard because it's, it's, it's an inside thing. It's a belief thing. It's a faith thing. Christianity is a faith thing that God knows right away. He knows the difference. So maybe you think you're doing, you know, Jedi mind tricks with God. You're not. Um, you can fool me, but you can't fool God. But Mary is on board. Mary's on board. And, it, and it's such an awesome thing. Verse 37, the understanding, nothing is impossible for God. How encouraging do you think it might be for you if you were married and you were just told that this was going to happen and kind of the icing of the cake is, and by the way, I know you've, I know you've heard about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. I know you've heard about my other miracles. I want to put side by side one right by you so that during your nine months, you're daily reminded God performs miracles. God makes life. God brings about. Could, could you imagine that? that? That Mary, as she's walking through her pregnancy at every step, is seeing her, her relative who was barren and is having a miracle baby with her. That's pretty cool. This is pretty cool encouragement. My confidence goes greater every day because every day as I see Elizabeth getting closer and closer, that gives me more confidence, right? What a great way that God has encouraged Mary in this. Look, we're reading this like it's nothing because we've heard it so often. This is miraculous. This is incredible. And part of our faith is tied into a genuine understanding of the real life event that's happening with these real people and the eyewitness of Luke and all the other witnesses that are telling you and me today, don't lose faith. Don't lose heart. Have confidence. This is true. Let me tell you the story of Christmas. And it didn't start in the manger. And it didn't start with Elizabeth. And it didn't start with Malachi. And it didn't start with Isaiah. See, now we're going backwards. And you realize, wait a minute. This has been God's plan the whole time? Yes. The miracle of Christmas was a plan by God over the centuries, over the epics of time. That's why it becomes so important that we don't just think of it as baby Jesus. 
that, that baby is the Savior of the world. That baby is, is God with us. Emmanuel. Verse 35. The Son of God. This is the Son of God. Well, we got through most of the chapter. As we look forward to communion now, even in this chapter, we see a great link to communion. And we see a way to understand Christmas through a prophecy now of Zacharias. Zacharias speeding forward and in the first chapter of Luke, Zacharias has now gotten his speaking back. He's filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 67. Everybody around him has seen him go silent. Now everybody around him has seen him get his voice back. And so as we prepare our hearts for, for communion, this is what the culmination of, of what's going to happen because of the birth of Christ. Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. And he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham. See, there's a reason why we're studying the Abrahamic covenant. Because in order for you to fully understand and grasp what's taking place here, you have to fully understand and grasp the, the importance of the Abrahamic covenant. Verse 74, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. So Zacharias is prophesying about his son, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, the Baptist is going to go before the Lord to prepare the way of Jesus. Verse 77, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation. They don't know. The people in the day of Zacharias have turned their back to God, against God. They don't know. They've become hard. The people today have turned their back against God. They don't have the knowledge of salvation. By the forgiveness of their sins. This is why, this is why we cannot... Be silent about sin. The message of salvation is the forgiveness of sin. The message of communion is the forgiveness of sin. The good news is that when you sin, you are not going to be held accountable for the payment of that sin. Remove sin from the equation. And what are we talking about? You're saved from what? 
Well, from nothing, because I've never sinned. You're redeemed from what? Well, from nothing, because I don't sin. You've been restored to what? Well, I'm perfectly fine the way I am. And if you're not sure about that, just ask the person next to you. They've got a couple things they could help you out with. The forgiveness of sins is the Christmas story. This baby is born to be sacrificed for you and for me for the forgiveness of our sin. How can that be? Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. God is so merciful. He is not going to give you the punishment you deserve. He has a plan with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into a way of peace. Prince of Peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance in Israel. The only way for us to properly understand Christmas is to properly understand our scriptures. When we do, then Christmas will take on an entirely different, real, valuable meaning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the reminder that we have through your word that you had a plan to save us from our sin. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, we're reminded, Lord, that for us to hold our neighbors, our family, our friends into account for their sin would be a slap in your face. You reminded us in Matthew 18, Lord, of being the master who has forgiven us of all our debt and wiped it clean. We have no business holding account others who have small debts. Lord, in preparing us for communion, Lord, cleanse us from our inability to be forgivers. Lord, if we can't forgive others, then you will not forgive us. If we don't forgive others, you will not forgive us. If we don't forgive others, then you will hold us accountable for the payment of our sin. And so, Lord, when we come to this table, we let all of that go. And Lord, I pray that we would walk out of this building understanding that we follow your pattern not in holy righteousness but your pattern in grace and mercy your pattern in kindness and restoration your pattern of being the good shepherd who seeks and saves the lost that we are willing to forgive up to seven times 70 that's the path of christianity and that's what we celebrate at this table. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.